Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. As is our tradition, we honor the reading of the Word of God, recognizing the authority of God and Scripture by standing together as we read or maybe recite today from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Today, as we conclude our series studying through the 23rd Psalm, I want to take a moment to answer one more question about the table that God has set before us. And the question is this, why did God set the table for you in the presence of your enemies? Why do they get ringside seats? Why do they get to be on the front row? Wouldn't it make more sense if the table was put somewhere where it was just me and God? Because I'll be honest with you, that way nothing could distract me. There's a reason I need to sit up front at church. Because I will watch. My eyes see it all and take it all in. And the next thing I know, I've been staring at a baby. And I love babies, but man, I couldn't tell you anything else that happened. Nothing could distract me. Nothing could attack me. If I was not in the presence of my enemies, if I wasn't in the presence of the things trying to get me, then I'd be safe and I could just focus. Nothing could separate me from God. Why not vanquish my enemies? Why not change the tough circumstances? Why not heal the cancer? Why not stop my loved one from dying? Why not silence those voices that are lying about me? Okay, picture the table again. He's prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Picture the table again. There is a God, and it's the God of the whole universe, who is infinitely good and infinitely great. And that God has invited you to join him. You've been invited to a feast and the table is filled with everything that can satisfy and sustain you. And even still you're aware that whatever the food is, it's not more important than who the host is. You are dining with the king of all kings, the creator of the whole cosmos, the wisest, the kindest, the most loving, the most creative, the most joy-filled, the most interesting person in the universe. In the middle of every raging battle around you, the good shepherd is available and accessible. And he's invited you to share a relationship with him that will go as deeply as you desire it to. The God of the whole universe 
has invited you to know him deeply and closely and richly. You are invited to sit with him, to be in his presence. And when this dawns on you, what it really means, because sometimes, God forgive us, we come to a place like this and we realize what church is and it just kind of, it becomes second nature almost. And, and, and praise God that being a part of this fellowship is so natural to us. But, but sometimes we forget to be awestruck by how amazing the invitation is. Because when we, when we see it, we realize that there is nothing more valuable in our life or more rewarding in our life than knowing God. This is important because one of the strongest things we can do to keep the enemy from getting a seat at our table is to be completely transfixed on the Lord. When we are captivated by God and God's goodness, we win the battle for our mind. And so what do we need to do? We need to linger with God. We need to stay there and spend time with God. It's great to know that we've discussed what we've discussed so far in the series, to know the enemy's tactics, to know how to battle those, to know how to protect the, the table that we've been given. But today is about moving from defense to offense. As we wholeheartedly focus on God and His face, seek the Lord's face, Psalm 27, 8 says. As we focus wholeheartedly on His face, great things happen. Wonderful things flood our life when we cultivate an incredible desire to taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8. Too many of us are satisfied with just knowing about God. So we cram our heads with Bible trivia. And knowing the Bible is not a bad thing. Obviously, I'm for it. But I need you to be careful with cramming your head full of Bible trivia because I need you to know the Bible is not trivial. There is a serious and life-changing difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Imagine that your mind is a garden and seeds can float in on the wind and they can be dropped in by birds. They can be scattered by any number of things. But you as the gardener are responsible for what grows there. You have the power to water the good seeds and cultivate the good seeds and pull out any weeds that come from the seeds you don't want. You see, here's the truth. Whatever you give sustenance and shelter to in your mind is what's going to grow in your garden. You're going to reap what you sow. That sounds pretty good. That should, if that's not in the Bible, it should be. <laughs> so how do we come to know God more fully? How do we linger? All right. <clears throat> Three ways that are really easy for me to run through really quickly. First, through the Word of God in Scripture. Spend time in Scripture. Spend time in Scripture. You will come to know God. You will linger with God as you spend time meditating on His Word. Second, by looking at the Son, Jesus Christ. John 14, 9, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. 
Okay? The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll know God. Third, with the help of the Spirit, who it says guides us into all truth, John 14, 26. Study Scripture, look at Jesus, and pray for the help of the Spirit. Okay, those are, those are the three ways that you're going to linger with God. Because as you come to know God, you'll learn some of His attributes. What God is like. Then you'll learn that those attributes can't be exhausted. Because God is infinite. All right, Keith, here we go. We're going, we're going a little deeper now, right? Because <clears throat> now we're, we're talking about God's attributes. But God's attributes are infinite because God is infinite. Let me give you an example. God is love. If you agree with God is love, say amen. amen. That's right. We're just priming the pump. The, this truth is presented in Scripture everywhere. Especially so in 1 John. But God is not just a nebulous energy force. God is a person that includes a full free will. God can do whatever God wants. And the thing that drives God's will... The thing that decides what God's going to do, how God makes that decision, is his love. Because God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as you look more and more closely at the love of God, studying it, meditating on it, you come to see that love is one of God's most extraordinary attributes. And as you see God as the God of love, you begin to truly know God. So <clears throat> this weekend, we've been blessed the last few days to have some family with us. Kelly's mom has come into town. Uh, and so my mother-in-law's been with us. And then she brought with us Cooper's cousins. My nephew and my niece. Um, and I asked my niece, McKenna, who is embarrassed right now. <clears throat> and I had heard through the grapevine, namely her brother, Bracken, who she likes. And see, she's got a crush on this guy named Colin from Fishers. So Colin... Look, look, it's fine. I want to remind you, you're on my side. All right? <clears throat> so she's got this crush on Colin. And I said, so what is it about Colin that you like? What do you, tell me about Colin. Let me get to know Colin. Because I'm a protective uncle. There are some of the other ladies in this group that know Uncle Adam will, will like slash tires and harm people if they're going to mess with, with my sisters and, and, and these ladies over here. So, so I said, tell me about Colin. And, and here's what she said. She said, well, he's sweet and um, he's good looking. And I said, that sounds great. I, I'll bet that's true. And so then she was talking with him on the phone. They were Snapchatting. And, and I, I, I said, snap me to him. And so she took a picture of me. And then I said, hey, Colin, uh, she says that you are good looking and that you're sweet. And he says back, that's true. <laughs> so we're doing great, right? 
All right, so that's the deal. And, and I, I don't know how long she's liked Colin. And I love you, McKenna. Uh, you're like my favorite niece that's here. Um, <clears throat> and, so, and so, like, it's, I, I told her I was going to do this. She was like, don't bring me up on stage. And I was like, no, I'll keep it pretty calm. Um, and so now it's all of this. Uh, so uh, that's, she's known Colin. I don't know how long you've liked Colin. It's been like a month. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. If I asked, though, Patty Genema, tell me about Todd. Because y'all have been married for 32, you said? 32 years. He's sweet, he's good looking. I knew, and that's true, that's right. I knew she would say he's sweet and he's good looking with this setup. And he says that's true. But honestly, if I said, tell me about Todd, the list would be a little longer, right? There's a difference in knowing someone enough to say, well, they're, they're sweet and they're good looking. After about a month of being around them, I can tolerate this person and I think I'd like to know them a little bit more. And then there's being married to someone for 30-something years and you start to have a list that takes a little bit longer. You say, yes, they're sweet and they're funny and maybe they're tall, but also there's more to that list. They're a good parent. They're patient with my in-laws. They're so friendly with everyone they meet. They can field my difficult emotions even on my worst days. They don't leave after an argument. They pray with me. They open up to me. I know their traits. I know their mannerisms. I know their character. I know their thoughts. I know their actions. I know what they care about and I know their heart. So what kind of relationship do you think God wants to have with you? A superficial one or one that is deep and rich and intimate. God invites you to a deep and personal knowledge of him where you can explore his grace, his love, his mercy, his immensity, his purity, his holiness, his omnipotence. And he invites you to come to know how he helps you, how he cares for you, how he provides for you, how he never fails you, how he works all things for your good, how he's full of wisdom and rich in counsel, how he never changes, how he's always everywhere and yet loves you individually, how he's kind, how he's gracious, how he's infinitely beautiful and powerful and glorious. God wants to be known by you and you can know as much about him as you have the appetite and the desire to know. I want to talk for a moment about two of God's attributes that are extraordinarily important. I want to tell you first off that God is holy. And I want to tell you second off that God is full of glory. God is holy and God is full of glory. Most of you have been in church long enough to grant me these two. But when you've taken time to examine what they mean and why they should matter to you. Why I want to learn more about God's holiness and God's glory. Your life will be changed. We referenced last week Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God in his throne room. I want to read it to you again, these first three verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. Now pay attention, the earthly king uh, of the people of God had died. 
and the vision that Isaiah gets is God on his throne. So in the time when you think the king is dead, now I'm going to show you who the real king is. Okay, in the year that King Uzziah died, go back to verse 1, I'm sorry. Uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. The Lord is seated on his throne. His robe fills the temple all around him are these angelic beings covered in wings who don't even look at the Lord. In honor, the angels are calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, full of glory. Holy, holy, holy. Now notice, they're not crying out, mighty, mighty, mighty. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Immutable, immutable, immutable. Transcendent, transcendent. No, they're saying holy, holy, holy. The angels are directing us to God's perfection, his purity, his sinlessness. But the word holy is even more than that. In Hebrew, the the, the word conveys two related concepts, being sacred and being set apart. And when we say God is set apart, we mean he's in a league of his own. That he has no equals, that there's nothing like him and there's no one like him. Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. And then they say the whole earth is filled with his glory. We think of glory as fame and renown, but the Hebrew word once again has two big concepts that come with it, weight and worth. That God is infinitely substantial. Weight. And he has incalculable value, worth. He is full of magnitude and he is priceless. In Isaiah 6, 3, the angels are singing, God, you are sacred and set apart. Your weight and your worth cannot be measured. And times that again, and times that again. The choice to know God... Who is holy and full of glory is yours. Thanks to Jesus, there are no more barriers to knowing God. You see, it wasn't always that way. In the Old Testament, there were limits. People had to look ahead in faith, believing that the barriers between themselves and God created by sin would be forgiven. That one day those would be broken down by a Savior. And Jesus made a way for us to come into the presence of God to actually know Him without limits. 2 Corinthians 3 says because of what Christ has done, we can come boldly into God's presence. That we can come as high up the mountain as we want to. That's what Christ has done for us. So the angels sang over Him at His birth, glory to God in the highest The greatest weight and value has come to earth. 
And thanks to him, the separation between God and humanity doesn't need to exist anymore. The, current, the curtain in the temple was torn when he died, and we now have access to the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is his body. God urges us to draw near. To climb up the mountain to know him. And we seem more confident to stand at the base with just a pinch of dust. If you want to keep the enemy away from your table, climb the mountain. Scripture tells us that we'll become like what we worship. Psalm 115.8 says of those people who are making idols that they, that they bow down and worship the idols and then they become like them. Scripture tells us we're going to become like what we worship. So why not fix our gaze on the Almighty and be changed into the likeness of the one who made us, loves us, and longs to reflect His glory through us? Last week I shared this promise with you from Psalm 34.5. Those who look to Him are radiant. Scripture's clear about this. Jesus lives in you. If you're a Christian, if you've been baptized in Christ, Jesus lives in you. And when Jesus lives in you, your slate is clean. You're set free from condemnation. You are given a new life and a new place and a new family. You have a relationship with God through Jesus and Christ's work on the cross got you out of death so that now your life can be lived fully surrendered to Him. You are alive in the Spirit and alive by the Spirit. You are alive for Christ and you are alive in Christ. You are called to live the life of Christ so that he might be glorified. You are called to shine like stars. You are radiant. Don't waste time with an average life. You are radiant. Don't waste time chasing normal. You weren't made for that. You were made to know God intimately, deeply. And you were made to live a life that defies human explanation. That they look at your life and say, I have no idea how he did that on his own. How she made it that far on her own. Your life is supposed to defy human explanation so that they'll ask the next question, how? And I can answer, because of my God. Because of what God's done in me, right? So, you realize that those who look to Him have their countenance changed. Literally, hope begins to shine from your eyes. A smile emerges where there used to be a resting mean face. Instead of looking anxious and tired, you look at peace and at rest. 
You're seated at the table he's prepared for you, and everyone around you can see the difference. Your radiance is showing. Everyone around you can see it, even your enemies. Do you remember that they were given a front row seat? God prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. God gave them a ringside seat so they wouldn't miss a thing. And what do they see? They don't see us wilting under, under pressure. They don't see us glaring back at them in the same anger they have for us. They see you glowing radiantly as you stare into the face of majesty. You see, the story is not ultimately about you or about me. The story is ultimately about God and his glory. And we get the benefit of being led by the good shepherd, but we're the sheep, not the shepherd. Don't get the story twisted. God's glory matters more than anything. And if people don't get a chance to see how great and gracious and good he is, how will they not end up walking away and choosing something of lesser value? How will they know better unless they see his worth on display in you? The table is in the presence of our enemies because God wants you to know you'll always have enough in every moment. In every struggle, he will sustain you through the dark night and in every battle. The table is in the presence of our enemies because God wants your enemies to watch you shine. Because in time, it'll cause their eyes to turn from you to look onto the one who makes you shine. The table's in the presence of your enemies because God wants your enemies to hear your song. Because with your eyes locked on Jesus, your worship will be uninterrupted. And your worship will become your weapon. Because this is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That that in my mourning, in my trials, I lift up a garment of praise. Because of where my eyes are. That my enemies get to hear my song. And everything shifts when you exchange a teacup of knowledge about God for an ocean's worth of understanding of who God really is. I want to call up the praise team. I want to call up the prayer team. And I'll just tell you, too often we want to see a miracle first. Before we take the step of faith. We want to see the miracle first, and then we'll take the step of faith. And we're like, okay, God, you do something great, and then I'll step out. Okay, God, give me the right words first, then I'll bear witness. God, give me the money first, and then I'll be generous. God, give me the spouse I need, then I'll act right. 
But the fullness of the life that Jesus provides becomes evident to us often when we move and when we act on his leading, when we open our mouths and speak. The steps we take in faith activate the power of the Spirit. And so today I'm calling you. God is calling you to surrender your life completely to the Good Shepherd. He will lead you into green pastures and beside quiet waters. He will lead you through dark valleys so that you won't need to fear. You will not be in want because he will restore your soul. Jesus will lead you to a table in the presence of your enemies. But there's nothing to worry about because your head is dripping with his anointing. Your cup overflows with his abundance. And goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. Jesus, the good shepherd, has invited you and is sitting at your table. He invites you to all the abundance that it offers. It's a meal for the two of you. And he himself is the feast. Will you come while we stand and sing? We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.